on this edition of Life on the Run. No, no one wants to believe in bad news, but we want to believe in good news. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus went and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Life moves fast, and we don't often take a moment to hit the brakes and slow down. Do you want to take your life and your faith to the next level? Join Pastor Dale Sism as he shines a light on what it truly means to love God, serve people, and share Christ in your area of influence. This is Life on the Run, a weekly podcast designed to help more people find true life in Jesus Christ. I want to share a word with you this morning that God has just been speaking to me over the last couple months and specifically over the last couple weeks. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark. I do not have an insert in for you. Uh, Normally, we have a a message insert that you can follow along. I don't have that this morning. But if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, Matthew and Mark. Uh, Mark is a disciple of Jesus, but as we all are, but he was not one of the original 12 disciples. Mark came along a little bit later. He is a cousin to Barnabas. Uh, His full name is John Mark. Uh, He's the guy with the two first names, John Mark. And uh, uh, John Mark accompanied Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journeys. Uh, He was well known uh, and loved amongst the early disciples. In fact, Peter called him his spiritual son. And then later, right before Paul's execution, is that he called for Timothy to bring Mark to him because he had been useful for, in the ministry for Paul. Uh, later, Mark ended up going to Egypt and he established churches there. Uh, Mark, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark is the earliest of the four gospels. Uh, Mark is writing, he was actually Peter's interpreter on, on their trips, uh, and he is writing Peter's recollection of what he learned of the time and the life of Jesus. And so Mark, again, being the earliest of the Gospels, it was written just about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So it's one of the earliest records that we have of Jesus' life. And Mark is writing to a Roman Gentile crowd, Roman Gentile believers, and, and he is bringing forth and speaking to them about the humanity, but also the divinity of Jesus. So what I love about Mark is it really is a condensed version. And just these 16 chapters, he just, he just goes through and gives the highlights and focuses on the life of Jesus. So Mark jumps right in here, if you have this, and I want to talk this morning about some very famous words that Jesus used. Let's start this in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Now, let me stop there for a moment. We know the word gospel literally means good news. So what Jesus was doing is he was going around and saying, repent and believe in good news. No, no one wants to believe in bad news. No one wants to believe in fake news. But we want to believe in good news. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus went and proclaimed good news, the good news of the kingdom. So verse 16, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said unto them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, underline that, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, I'm assuming with the same words, come, follow me. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Now jump down to chapter 2. And let's read another version of Jesus calling one of his disciples. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. How many know Jesus is in the house? So it was heard that he was in the house, and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Isn't that good news? He preached the gospel. Now jump down to verse 13. And he went out again by the sea, and all of the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, who we also know as Matthew. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So we have three instances here where Jesus utters these words, these famous words, probably one of the most famous words that Jesus ever uttered was, come, follow me. I believe that those three words are the same words that Jesus is speaking today. He's saying that to every person on planet earth. He is saying the same words, come, follow me, believe in the good news and follow me. Now these were also words that every young Jewish boy wanted to hear was come, follow me. Let me give you just a, a little history here. Jewish boys, they went to school much like what our children would. They would go to an elementary school, and then after that, they would go to what we would call a middle school, and they would graduate at about the age of 13. 13 is where they would have their bar mitzvah. They would be, in some respect, considered a man. Most What it really means is that the father was no longer responsible for the sins and the crimes of his son. And so for a father, it was like, yes, I'm no longer responsible for your stupidity. <laughs> it is really what that bar mitzvah was all about. And, and so at the age of 13, they would graduate from school. And then 
And then they would begin their trade training. So they would go to work with their father or they would go to live with a tradesman. And that tradesman would begin to teach them about a trade or their father would teach them about a trade. Now, those who did really, really, really good in school, those who had a a 4.0 GPA and those who wanted to go on in their education, remember everything they learned was focused on the Hebrew scriptures. So when they're learning history, they're learning it from the Hebrew scriptures. When they're learning culture, they're learning it from the Hebrew scriptures. When they're learning the laws, they're learning it from the Hebrew scriptures. So everything of their schooling was focused on the Hebrew scriptures. Could you imagine how wonderful society would be if we grounded our children in the word of God? And so here the children were grounded in Hebrew language and Hebrew scriptures and Hebrew culture. And so those, again, who had a great grade point average and those who were the best of the best, those who wanted to go on in their education and and maybe even become a rabbi, that even though they were going to trade school, they would, at every opportunity, every time the door was opened and they they were outside of their working hours, they would be at the temple and they would be sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Wouldn't that be wonderful if our youth were so hungry they wanted to be in church at all times? And this is what was happening as they were going and they were learning and they were memorizing scripture. And then by the time they got to 15, and again, these were really, really smart kids. They, they most likely had the first five books of the Bible memorized. We have a hard time memorizing John 3.16. They would have had the whole five books, the Torah, all memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Anybody just tried to read through Leviticus? They would have had it memorized. Numbers in Deuteronomy. And then when they got to 15, they'd been sitting underneath all of these different rabbis and they would have an affinity toward one of them and they would apply to sit at the feet of one of these rabbis. They would apply to a rabbinic school. Now the schooling would be different than what we would think of. In other words, we send our children to a university where you sit under many, many teachers or professors. These students would sit under one rabbi. They would become that rabbi's disciple. And so they would have to prove to him that... this, this is my grade point average. I've memorized the first five books of the Bible. I, these are my dreams, my aspirations. And then the rabbi would take all of these applications and, and he, would, he would choose the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, the most elite of the elite. And he would then go to one of these students' homes And he would interview them, and then he would say these words. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. And when when he was saying that, here is what he was saying. You're the best of the best. You're the brightest of the brightest. 
You have what it takes to be like me. In fact, you have what it takes to be better than me. So come, follow me, imitate me, imitate my life so that you can be better than me. And when a student heard that, I, it, I mean, can you imagine what they were thinking? Auto automatically, they knew it came with such pride such honor that they knew they were the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest and the elite of the elite. They knew that, that they had a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so they would become the disciples of that rabbi, learning from him, imitating him, becoming like him. Now, we know that that was the cream of the crop. Not everyone met that standard and so what happened to the other 98 percent of the population is that they continued on in their trade they they learned how to make tents or to be a carpenter or to be a fisherman or to be a metal worker whatever that trade was that they would be they would continue in that trade. And they may even think that, well, I wasn't picked. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't bright enough. I wasn't the most educated. I probably flunked out of school and, and whatever the situation is. But they knew that they were not picked because they weren't the brightest of the brightest and the best of the best. Sounds a lot like today. Students want to go to the best schools. They want to go to the prestigious universities, get a prestigious degree so that they can have a prestigious career so that their parents can impress all of the friends that don't like them anyway. And, uh, and, and, and people go to crazy lengths. And we've even heard reports in the news lately of, of parents paying to someone to forge their child's uh, school records or pictures and and just so that they could get into one of these prestigious schools not much has really changed since the time of jesus to today but now jesus comes around and instead of choosing the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest and the most elite of the elite he goes around and he sees some boys fishing. Ones who didn't get picked. Ones who didn't have a great GPA. One who probably hadn't memorized the Torah. And Jesus comes to them and says these words that only the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest ever get to hear. Come, follow me. And the Bible says that they left their nets and they began to follow him. And he goes to Matthew. And he's Matthew, who is the scourge of society. Nobody liked Matthew. And he goes to Matthew and says, Come, follow me. And, and Matthew leaves the money on the table and he begins to follow Jesus. And I'm sure they knew that they were not the brightest of the brightest or the best of the best, but they were chosen. Here they were, boys, age 15 and older. They probably never even applied to rabbinic school because they knew they didn't make the grade. 
And yet they probably had a friend that did. They had a classmate that did. Maybe their older brother. They may have had a father that said, why can't you be more like your brother? And they probably lived with this that, well, I'm just going to be a carpenter the rest of my life. I'm just going to be a tent maker the rest of my life. I'm just going to be a fisherman the rest of my life. Now, I can understand this to some degree because it, when I was growing up and I graduated from high school and I graduated 36th in my class. Now, if you, if you went to a big school of seven, 800 people, 36 is pretty good, isn't it? But I had 43 students in my class. <laughs> that means there were only seven students dumber than me. And I knew who they were. And everyone else knew who I was. Because I was in that group. And, and, and I had that exact same thought. Well, I guess this is my lot in life. This is what I'm destined to be. Because I'm not the brightest of the brightest. I'm not the best of the best. I'm not the most elite of the elite. And I think many believers walk around feeling that way. That, that they see their life. They see their sins. They see their past. They see where they came from. Their upbringing. Their family. Their, their city. Their small town. The, the part of town. Whatever it may be. That, and they know where they have been and where they have come from. And they say, God could never, ever, ever, ever do anything great with me because I'm not the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest or the elite of the elite. And who did Jesus choose? He, choose, he chose world changers. Amen. And even though their self-esteem may have been in the, the pits, they may have considered themselves the black sheep of the family. Jesus comes along and says these boys that, that only the top could have ever dreamed of hearing, and that is, come, follow me. And they couldn't believe their ears. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So they dropped their nets. They left the coins in the tax office, and they began to follow him because someone is believing in them. Someone is saying your life matters. Someone is saying that, that you have value. Someone is saying you have dignity. Come and be with me because I am saying, Jesus is saying, this, this is what his disciples are hearing. They're hearing Jesus say, you're the best of the best and you're the brightest of the brightest and you're the elite of the elite. You have what it takes to be like me. You have what it takes to even be more than what I am. That's what they're hearing. Of course, they didn't have an understanding of who Jesus was at that time. So I'm just putting it into their minds, into what they were probably were thinking at that time, what they were hearing. Jesus is saying, what I do, you can do. In fact, even what I have done, you will even do more than what I will ever do. So come and follow me. And so for three and a half years, Jesus taught these disciples and they began to imitate their life they learned from him they began to imitate him jesus healed the sick so they would heal the sick jesus would cast out devils they would begin to cast out devils and so for three and a half years they were taught about the kingdom of god and they were reminded time and time and time again what i do you will do and even greater things you will do because i go to my father in heaven and this is what jesus is saying to you 
He's saying this to you. What I do, you will do. And even greater things will you do because I go to my Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, you're world changers. You've received from me. You freely received. Now freely give. They saw Jesus heal the sick. They healed the sick. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They raised the dead. Jesus went and walked on water and he bid Peter to come and walk on water with him. Jesus never traveled more than 70 miles from his hometown, and yet he saw in these disciples that they were going to go into the known world and change the world. Can you imagine what Jesus is saying about you? He's saying you have what it takes to go into the world and change the world. You have what it takes to do what I do, to even do more than what I do, because I go to my Father who is in heaven. And so for three and a half years, Jesus began to shape their identity. They were no longer the losers, the dropouts, the flunks. But they were now the world changers. You're going to go into the world. You're going to change the world. You're my disciples. You belong to me. And so he began to point them forward toward a new future. And then all of a sudden... Everything changed. Their world collapsed in front of them. Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. He goes to a cross and he dies. And I can imagine their hopes are shattered. Their dreams are being vanquished. After Jesus is raised from the dead, where does he find his disciples? John 21, he finds his disciples doing what they did before. They're back fishing. And this is human nature, is God is saying, I have an incredible plan and a purpose and a future for you. And we tend to always go backwards. We go back to what is comfortable. Jesus is saying, I've got a world in front of you. And we tend to go back and live with what we're comfortable with and familiar with. And this is what the scenario that Jesus found as a disciple. So he came to Peter Three times asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, of course I love you. And then three times Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, do not forget who you are. Don't forget what you are called to do. Don't forget who you are called to be. Go feed my sheep. I formed you, I trained you. In fact, for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus began to teach them about the kingdom of God and began to teach them about their future and what they were called to do, what they were going to do. You see, the purpose of a rabbi, when a rabbi chose his disciples, the purpose of the rabbi was to replicate himself into the life of the disciple. And so for three and a half years, and then for these 40 days afterwards, Jesus is replicating his life into the life of the disciple, saying, I want you to go, and I want you to do what I do. I want you to go and, and, and proclaim the kingdom, and I want you to invite others to come and follow as well. And so Jesus handpicked his disciples to replicate his life in the kingdom of God. But did you know that Jesus also handpicked you? He handpicked you to replicate his life in the kingdom, in the world today. In fact, let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 28. These are, again, familiar words. If you have your Bible, follow along with me. 
Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He was saying, go and replicate yourself. Duplicate yourself. Make more disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So Jesus picked his disciples to replicate his life. And now he tells his disciples to go and make more disciples. Replicate your life in the life of more disciples. Now, here is where I thank God daily. I thank God that Jesus did not say to his disciples, go out and pick the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest and the most elite of the elite. He just says, go and make disciples. He gives the invitation, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, just cast the net out. And whoever will may come. And replicate your life in them. Teach them to observe what I've taught you to observe. He just says, come, follow me. Think of these original disciples. For three and a half years, they followed Jesus. And they began this process of transformation from unlearned and uneducated men into becoming world changers. And we know that they were unlearned and uneducated because the rabbis knew they weren't picked. And there in in Acts chapter 4, when they were arrested for proclaiming Jesus, they said, "We, we see these men are unlearned and uneducated. And yet there's something about them. They're speaking with authority. Why? Because they had met Jesus. Let me tell you, when you meet Jesus, he transforms your life. Can anybody say amen? amen. And so what, what Jesus did for these disciples was change their identity, to change what they believed about themselves. Let's go back here to Matthew 28, because this is, this is a word that God has been speaking to me on. And, and I began to change my thinking even about this just over the last couple of weeks here in Matthew 28. Because we've read this verse, we've read it, we've read it, we've, we've read it. But I believe that he wants us to read it today. Because we read this verse and it's the end of Matthew and, and we read it. Go into all of the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm with you always, even in the world. All right, done with Matthew. Check that box. Now I'm on to Mark. And we're in our Bible reading plan, and we just forgot what we just read. The Bible says, repent and be baptized. So Jesus is saying, go and baptize these new believers. And we look at baptism as a momentary event. And it is a momentary event. And I believe that. Repent and be baptized. So come to Jesus, get baptized. It's a momentary event. But the word baptism, or to be baptized, the the word we know it means to be immersed. Another word is to dip under, or putting it in our common day language that we're going to have a dunking service we're going to dunk them for jesus isn't that a great let's have a dunk for jesus service amen and so we we immerse we dip we dunk in other words they go in the water 
the best illustration I ever heard of, of the process of baptism is when you take a cucumber and you put it into a jar of vinegar and a pickling salt and you let it sit for a while, what happens to the cucumber? It becomes a pickle. In other words, there's a transformation that has taken place. Here is what I believe, and listen carefully. I feel like one of these moments, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's what I believe the Spirit is saying. Yes, baptism is a momentary event. It's our identity with Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. We don't discount that. We practice that. So he says, baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if baptism literally means to immerse, that there is a transformation that takes place in baptism, I believe what Jesus is saying is immerse your disciples into their identity with the Father. Immerse your disciples into their identity with the Son. Immerse your disciples into their identity with the Holy Spirit. While, yes, baptism is a momentary event, I believe it is a lifelong process of identity transformation. That we are to transform their identity and who our disciples are, that they are a child of God. They've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Immerse them into their identity with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process. We are lifelong learners. And we only graduate when we go to heaven and be with Jesus. So bear with me, if you will, for just a moment. Let me end this by taking you to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Because if the book of Ephesians, if there is any book that you need to invest your time into to understanding your identity and who you are in Christ, it would be the book of Ephesians. Over 35 times, just in the book of Ephesians, it tells you who you are in Christ. It is speaking of your identity. The first three books, or the first three chapters of Ephesians is telling who you are, your position in Christ. And then the last three is what you are doing for Christ. Your performance for Christ, how you live for Jesus. But he doesn't go there until he tells you who you are in Christ. So let's look at this really quickly. Three things that I believe we can be immersed in. Number one is this. You are chosen by the Father. You are chosen by the Father. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Look at this. Paul is writing, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And just as he chose us in him. You ought to underline that. Just as Jesus chose his disciples, God the Father has chosen you to be in his family. 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Did you know it is the father's good pleasure for you to come and be his child? And if we could just be immersed into the identity that I am the father's child, that I have daddy God that I can turn to, that, that I am never left alone, that he comes to my aid, he comes to my defense, that he is always there with me. I have my father there at all times. I'm chosen by the father. You are not the neglected son. You're not the neglected daughter. You are chosen by the Father. And He adopted you. He says, I want you. Imagine Him going to the orphanage and saying, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. You're mine. He chose us. Be immersed in your identity. As a son, a daughter, a child of God. Number two, be immersed in your relationship with Jesus that you are redeemed by the Son. You are redeemed by the Son. Look at verse 7 with me. He says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, even the, according to the riches of His Grace, And you can continue reading on there. But he talks about that we have an inheritance because of the Son. That he redeemed us. He purchased us. Now, for a disciple to be trained by a rabbi, they had to pay their own way. They had to work and be trained at the same time. They had to work at their trade, but they also had to had to pay their own way. No one provided it for them. But aren't you thankful that God demonstrated his love for us, that he paid our way? Remember, the rabbi chose the best of the best. Jesus chose the sinner. When you are at the most unlovable, most unwanted state, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He chose you. So be immersed in your identity as a joint heir with Christ. God has made every spiritual blessing available to you. You are a joint heir with Christ. You have an inheritance from God. You have forgiveness of sins. You've been chosen by the Father. You've been redeemed by the Son. But thirdly, be immersed in, the, in your fellowship with the Holy Spirit because you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. In Him, in other words, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In other words, you, you heard the word, you believed, and you trusted in whom also you believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Jesus purchased 
He purchased your inheritance, your heavenly home. He purchased all, he purchased all of the spiritual blessings that God has made available to you. That is your inheritance and that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Be immersed into the fact that the Holy Spirit is always with you. He's there leading you. He's guiding you. Wake up in the morning and go, Good morning, Holy Spirit. What are you and I going to do today? 2 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about how that we have been, we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship literally means a partnership. So what God has called you to do, the Holy Spirit becomes your partner in it. So you can wake up, good morning, Holy Spirit. What are you and I going to do today? We're partners together. Let me encourage you. Be immersed. Be immersed that you are a child of God. Be immersed in the fact that that your sins are forgiven. That you have this inheritance that has been purchased by Jesus. Your salvation was bought with a price. Be immersed in the fact that you have fellowship and partnership with the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit. And the invitation is still given today. Come and follow me. Be my disciple. Because I am saying about you, you're the best of the best. You're the brightest of the brightest. You can do what I can do. In fact, you'll even do more than what I've ever done, Jesus said, because I go to my Father who is in heaven. Come and follow me. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Life on the Run. Find show notes, video, and much more on our website at eplife.org. Join our Facebook community at eplife.org forward slash Facebook. To support the work and ministry of Life Church, head to eplife.org forward slash giving. Life Church is located in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and our weekly services are at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And join us next week for Life on the Run podcast so that you can leave your mark on the world by hitting the brakes, increasing your faith, and living out your life for Christ.